Hello and welcome. I'm Pastor Vincent Grissom, and this is Applying God's Word, a teaching ministry from the Word of God. This is study number 71. I've titled, The Gifts and the Calling of God are Irrevocable. Father, we ask that you open the eyes of our understanding and prepare our hearts by the power of your Spirit, that we may receive your Word with much joy, and may we conclude today having a deeper understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with Romans chapter 12, verses 25 through 36. Verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant to this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Paul, being concerned about us in verse 25, starts us off with a caution. He cautions us about being conceited. Being conceited was a big problem with the Jews, and for the most part, a problem that Paul himself had when he was still a Jew. You'll notice that throughout the book of Romans, Paul is continually reminding us that it is God who is the author of everything in this world, and it is God that is the author of everything in our lives. God, as Paul states, is our potter who has molded and shaped our lives in every way. God does this solely for his purpose. Let's have a closer look at these verses. Verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Paul here is not saying that this is a mystery to him. He is saying that he doesn't want them to be ignorant of this thing that is a mystery to them. God told Paul what is going to happen. He is getting divine revelation direct from God. Paul is telling them that when God has called the last Gentile to faith in Christ, that only at that point will Israel be brought back that they, as a nation, will be grafted back into the olive tree. Why at that point of the last Gentile? Well, maybe it has to do with something else that will happen. I would say very close to that same time. Maybe it will be them seeing Christ as he comes down from heaven with his army. We'll actually study this in a greater detail in a future podcast. Verse 28 and 29. 
As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. When Paul is talking about election, he is talking about those who God has chosen and called to come to faith in him and Christ. That is what being one of the elect is. Paul likes to use another word sometimes for this, and that is predestined. Pre, meaning before, and destined or destiny, meaning your future. Verse 30 through 32. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. We are all bound to disobedience since the fall of Adam. Everyone is born a sinner. We can't get away from that fact. But God in his mercy and grace bestows mercy on every single person in the world. Every single person has in some way received God's mercy. It may be that his mercy allows you to just be alive, even though as sinners we really only deserve death. It could be that he gave you a number of second chances to correct the errors in thinking and sins you commit. Or maybe in his mercy he sent someone to talk with you before you decide to do something you'll regret. Everyone has experienced God's mercy, but the ultimate act of mercy God has given us is that of salvation through Jesus Christ, his Son, for all who believe. Now let's look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In order for God to show us his mercy, he must first see in us someone who understands their sinful self and comes to God humbled and grieved. God will not give mercy to someone who effectively thinks that they don't need him. In return, if you understand that God has been merciful to you, then you must show that same mercy to others. Let's read the doxology, the expression of praise to God, found in the next three verses. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments 
and his paths beyond tracing out? Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul here, after speaking about the mercy of God, is so humbled that he feels the need to give praise to God for this mercy. Paul himself, being a recipient of God's mercy, understands his unworthiness of this gift because he still views himself as a sinner, which he should. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Paul here again giving God all the credit. No one knows what God is thinking, and for sure, no one knows better than God about anything. Verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? We have nothing to offer God. We come as Paul did, as just sinners. God owes us nothing, and we deserve nothing. That is, nothing in the form of any type of reward. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is humbled. He has a clear view of who God is in his life and who is in control of everything that goes on in his life. To God be the glory forever. So who is God to you? Is God bigger than you are? Or are you bigger than your God? Two things to think about when thinking of God. First, remove from your thoughts limits that would make God small. Through the study of Romans, Paul shows us the complete work of God in our lives. God being in control of everything, so as to ensure that we are secure in our path to glorification. Remind yourself of the acts of God that are great, from the creation of the heavens and earth to Israel's freedom from bondage and the establishment of their own land to Christ coming to pay the penalty for our sins and looking forward to his return. God knows all because God created all things for his own purpose. A.W. Tozer said this about God. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had possessed from eternity? He would be imperfect and less than himself. To think of God, who must sit at the feet of a teacher, is to think of someone other than the Most High God, maker of heaven and earth. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirits and all spirit, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, 
every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions. As we finish up our study today, let's keep this in mind. God's complete and perfect knowledge should humble us, it should comfort us, and it should encourage us. All praise be to God.